0: Chapter four of the Afghan Wars eighteen thirty nine to eighteen forty two and eighteen seventy eight to eighteen eighty Part one The First Afghan War by Archibald Forbes This Librivox recording is in the public domain four The Second Year of Occupation Dost Mohammed remained for a few days in the British cantonments on the Kabul Plain, an honored guest rather than a prisoner his soldierly frankness his bearing at once manly and courteous his honest liking for and trust in our race notwithstanding the experiences which he had undergone won universal respect and cordiality officers who stood aloof from shah Soojah vied with each other in evincing to dost Mohammed their sympathy with him in his fallen fortunes Shah Soojah would not see the man whom he had ingloriously supplanted, on the pretext that he, quote, could not bring himself to show common civility to such a villain, Unquote. How McNaughton's feeling in regard to the two men had altered is disclosed by his comment on this refusal, quote, it is well, he wrote, as the dost must have suffered much humiliation in being subjected to such an ordeal, Unquote in the middle of november eighteen forty the dost began his journey toward british india accompanied by sir willoughby cotton who was finally quitting afghanistan and under the escort of a considerable british force which had completed its tour of duty in afghanistan sale succeeded cotton in temporary divisional command pending the arrival of the latter's successor about the middle of december shah Soojah and his court accompanied by the british envoy arrived at Jalalabad for the winter, Burns remaining at Kabul in political charge. MacNaughton was mentally so constituted as to be continually alternating between high elation and the depths of despondency. Discerning to-day ominous indications of ruin in an incident of no account, and to-morrow scorning imperiously to recognize danger in the fierce rising of a province it may almost be said that each letter of his to lord auckland was of a different tone to the one which had preceded it burns who was nominally MacNaughton's chief lieutenant with more self-restraint had much the same temperament k writes of him quote, sometimes sanguine sometimes despondent sometimes confident sometimes credulous burns gave to fleeting impressions all the importance and seeming permanency of settled convictions and imbued surrounding objects with the colours of his own varying mind." But if Burns had been a discreet and steadfast man he could have exercised no influence on the autocratic MacNaughton, since between the two men there was neither sympathy nor confidence. Burns had indeed no specific duties of any kind. In his own words, he was in quote, the most nondescript situation. MacNaughton gave him no responsibility, and while Burns waited for the promised reversion of the office of envoy, he chiefly employed himself in writing long memorials on the situation and prospects of affairs, on which MacNaughton's marginal comments were brusque and occasionally contemptuous. The resolute and clear-headed Pottinger. Who, if the opportunity had been given him, might have buttressed and steadied MacNaughton, was relegated to provincial service. Throughout his career in Afghanistan, the envoy could not look for much advice from the successive commanders of the Kabul force, even if he had cared to commune with them. Keane, indeed, did save him from the perpetration of one folly, but Cotton appears to have been a respectable nonentity. Sale was a stout, honest soldier who was not fortunate on the only occasion which called him outside of his restricted métier. Poor Elphinstone was an object for pity rather than for censure. It happened, fortunately, in the impending misfortunes, that two men of stable temperament and lucid perception were in authority at Kandahar. General Nott was a grand old Indian officer, in whom there was no guile but a good deal of temper. He was not supple and he had the habit of speaking his mind with great directness a propensity which accounted perhaps for the repeated supersessions he had undergone a clear-headed shrewd man he was disgusted with very many things which he recognised as unworthy in the conduct of the affairs of afghanistan and he was not the man to choose mild phrases in giving vent to his convictions he had in full measure that chronic dislike which the indian commander in the field nourishes to the political officer who is imposed on him by the authorities and who controls his measures and trammels his actions not political who the sole survivor of the men who were prominent during this unhappy period still lives among us esteemed and revered was certainly the ablest officer of the unpopular department to which he belonged and how cool was henry rawlinson's temper is evinced in his ability to live in amity with the rugged and outspoken chief who addressed him in such philippic as the following words all the more trenchant because he to whom they were addressed must have realized how intrinsically true they were i have no right to interfere with the affairs of this country and i never do so but in reference to that part of your note where you speak of political influence, I will candidly tell you that these are not times for mere ceremony, and that, under present circumstances, and at a distance of two thousand miles from the seat of the Supreme Government, I throw responsibility to the wind, and tell you that in my opinion you have not had for some time past, nor have you at present, one particle of political influence in this country. Unquote. Not steadily laboured to maintain the morale and discipline of his troops, and thus watching the flowing tide of misrule and embroilment, he calmly made the best preparations in his power to meet the storm, the sure and early outbreak of which his clear discernment prognosticated. Shah Soojah's viceroy at Kandahar was his heir-apparent, Prince Timur. The Durrani chiefs of western Afghanistan, had not unnaturally expected favours and influence under the rule of the Dorani monarch, and while in Kandahar, before proceeding to Kabul, and still uncertain of what might occur there, Shah Soojah had been lavish of his promises. The chief had anticipated that they would be called around the vice-throne of Prince Timur, but Shah Soojah made the same error as that into which Louis Eighteenth fell on his restoration he constituted his court of the men who had shared his ludiana exile the councillors who went to kandahar with Timur were returned emigres in whom fitness for duty counted less than the qualification of companionship in exile those people had come back to afghanistan poor now they made haste to be rich by acts of oppressive injustice in the exaction of revenue from the people and by intercepting from the Dorani chiefs the flow of royal bounty to which they had looked forward. Uktar Khan was prominent among the Dorani noblemen, and he had the double grievance of having been disappointed of the headship of the Zamindawar province on the western bank of the helmund and having been evilly entreated by the minions of Prince Timur. He had raised his clan and routed a force under a royalist follower. When not sent a detachment against him, Uktar Khan had crossed the Helmand into Zemindwar when Farrington attacked him, and after a brisk fight routed and pursued him. The action was fought on January third, eighteen forty-one, in the very dead of winter. The intensity of the cold dispersed Uktar's levies, and Farrington returned to Kandahar. In reply to MacNaughton's demand for information regarding the origin of this outbreak, Rawlinson wrote him some home truths which were very distasteful. Rawlinson warned his chief earnestly of the danger which threatened the false position of the British in Afghanistan. He pointed out how cruel must be the revenue exactions which enable Prince Timur's courtiers to absorb great sums. He expressed his suspicion that Shah Soojah had countenanced Uktar Khan's rising and spoke of intrigues of dark and dangerous character. MacNaughton scouted Rawlinson's warning, and instructed him that, quote, It will make the consideration of all questions more simple, if you will hereafter take for granted, that as regards us, the king can do no wrong. Unquote. However, he and the Shah did remove from Kandahar, the Vakil, and his clique of obnoxious persons, who had been grinding the faces of the people, and the envoy allowed himself to hope that this measure would restore order to the province of Kandahar. The hope was vain, the evil lay deeper. Disaffection to the Shah and hatred to the British power were becoming intensified from day to day, and the aspiration for relief was swelling into a passion. In the days before our advent there had been venality and corruption in public places, Occasionally, likely enough, as MacNaughton asserted, to an extent all but incredible. But exaction so sweeping could have occurred only in regions under complete domination, and in Afghanistan, even to this day, there are few regions wholly in this condition. When the yoke became overweighty, a people of a nature so intractable knew how to resent oppression and oppose exaction but now the tax-gatherer swaggered over the land and the people had to endure him for at his back were the soldiers of the ferenghis and the levies of the shah the latter were paid by assignments on the revenues of specified districts as the levies constituted a standing army of some size the contributions demanded were heavier and more permanent than in bygone times mcnaughton aware of the discontent engendered by the system of assignments desired to alter it but the shah's needs were pressing the anglo-indian treasury was strained already by the expenditure in afghanistan and it was not easy in a period of turmoil and rebellion to carry out the amendment of a fiscal system that since the surrender of the dost there had been no serious rising in northern or eastern Afghanistan sufficed to make MacNaughton an optimist of the moment he had come by this time to a reluctant admission of the fact against which he had set his face so long that Shah Soojah was unpopular Quote, he has incurred he wrote the odium that attaches to him from his alliance with us Unquote. But the envoy would not admit that our position in Afghanistan was a false one, in that we were maintaining by our bayonets, against the will of the Afghans, a sovereign whom they detested. Quote, it would, he pleaded, be an act of downright dishonesty to desert his majesty before he has found the means of taking root in the soil to which we have transplanted him. Unquote. While he wrote, MacNaughton must have experienced a sudden thrill of optimism or of self delusion, for he continued, quote, All things considered, the present tranquillity of this country is to my mind perfectly miraculous. Already our presence has been infinitely beneficial in allaying animosities and in pointing out abuses. Unquote. If it had been the case that the country was tranquil, his adjective would have been singularly appropriate but not precisely in the sense he meant to convey but there was no tranquillity miraculous or otherwise while MacNaughton was writing the letter which has just been quoted brigadier shelton who about the new year had reached jellalabad with a brigade from british india in relief of the force which was withdrawing with cotton was contending with an outbreak of the wild and lawless clans of the khyber When MacNaughton wrote, he had already received intelligence of the collapse of his projects in Herat, and that Major Todd, who had been his representative there, judging it imperative to break up the mission of which he was the head, had abruptly quitted that city, and was on his way to Kandahar. Mischief was simmering in the Zemindawar country. The Gilzai tribes, of the region between Kandahar and Gunzi, had accepted a subsidy to remain quiet but the indomitable independence of this wild and fierce race was not to be tamed by bribes and the spirit of hostility was manifesting itself so truculently that a british garrison had to be placed in kelati eye, right in the heart of the disturbed territory this warning and defensive measure the tribes had regarded with angry jealousy but it was not until a rash political had directed the unprovoked assault and capture of a Gilzai fort that the tribes passionately flew to arms, bent on contesting the occupation of their rugged country. Colonel Weimer was sent from Kandahar with a force, escorting a convoy of stores intended for the equipment of Kellat at Gilzai. The tribes, who had been loosely beleaguering that place, marched down the Turmuk upon Weimer, and on May 19th attacked him with great impetuosity, under the command of a principal chief who was known as the Guru. Weimer, in the protection of his convoy, had to stand on the defensive. The Ghilzais, regardless of the grape which tore through their masses, fell on, sword in hand, and with an intuitive tactical perception struck Weimer simultaneously in front and flank. His sepoys had to change their dispositions, and the Ghilzais took the opportunity of their momentary dislocation to charge right home they were met firmly by the bayonet but again and again the hillmen renewed their attacks and it was not till after five hours of hard fighting which cost them heavy loss that at length in the darkness they suddenly drew off had they been swiss peasants defending their mountains or poles struggling against the ferocious tyranny of russia their gallant effort might have excited praise and sympathy had they been sudanese a statesman might have spoken of them as a people, quote, rightly struggling to be free, unquote. As it was, the envoy vituperated them as, quote, a parcel of ragamuffins, unquote. And Wymer's sepoys were held to have, quote, covered themselves with glory, unquote. McNaughton proceeded to encourage a sense of honour among the tribes, by proposing the transfer to another chief on condition of his seizing and delivering over the inconvenient Guru of the share of subsidy of which the latter had been in receipt. While this creditable transaction was under consideration, Uktar Khan was again making himself very unpleasant, so much so that MacNaughton was authorising Rawlinson to offer a reward of ten thousand rupees for his capture, which accomplished, Rawlinson was instructed to, hang the villain as high as Haman. The gallows was not built, however, on which Okhtar was to hang, although that chief sustained two severe defeats at the hands of troops sent from Kandahar, and had to become a fugitive. The Gil's eyes, who had gathered again after their defeat under the Guru, had made little stand against the detachment which Colonel Chambers led out from Kandahar, and they were again temporarily dispersed. The Guru himself was in our hands if the disaffection was in no degree diminished, the active ebullitions of it were assuredly quelled for the time. It was true to be sure that Akbar Khan, the fierce and resolute son of Dost Muhammad, had refused the envoy's overtures to come in, and was wandering and plotting in Kuloum, quite ready to fulfil MacNaughton's prophetic apprehension that, quote, the fellow will be after some mischief should the opportunity present itself, unquote that the Duranese were still defiant, that an insurgent force was out in the Derawat, and that the tameless chief Akram Khan was being blown from a gun by the cruel and feeble Timur. But unquestionably there was a comparative, although short-lived, lull in the overt hostility of the Afghan peoples against Shah Soojah and his foreign supporters. And MacNaughton characteristically announced that, quote, The country was quiet from Dan to Beersheba." To one of his correspondents he wrote, From Makur to the Khyber Pass all is content and tranquillity, and wherever we Europeans go we are received with respect, attention and welcome. I think our prospects are most cheering, and with the materials we have there ought to be little or no difficulty in the management of the country. The people are perfect children And they should be treated as such. If we put one naughty boy in the corner, the rest will be terrified. General Knott at Kandahar, who never interfered in the government of the country, but regarded the situation with shrewd, clear-headed common sense, differed utterly from the envoy's view. The stout old soldier did not squander his fire. It was a close volley he discharged in the following words: the conduct of the thousand and one politicals has ruined our cause, and bared the throat of every European in this country to the sword and knife of the revengeful Afghan and bloody Beluch. and unless several regiments be quickly sent, not a man will be left to describe the fate of his comrades. Nothing will ever make the Afghan submit to the hated Shah Soojah, who is most certainly as great a scoundrel as ever lived." Unquote. Nott's conclusions were in the main justified by after events, but the correctness of his premise may be questioned. That the conduct of some of the political officers intensified the rancour of the Afghans is unhappily true, but the hate of our domination, and of the puppet thrust upon them by us, seems to have found its origin in a deeper feeling. The patriotism of a savage race is marked by features repulsive to civilized communities but through the ruthless cruelty of the indiscriminate massacre the treachery of the stealthy stab and the lightly broken pledges there may shine out the noblest virtue that a virile people can possess a semi-barbarian nation whose manhood pours out its blood like water in stubborn resistance against an alien yoke May be pardoned for many acts shocking to civilized communities which have not known the bitterness of stern and masterful subjugation. End of chapter 4